On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. At Farmers Insurance, we have concrete evidence that parking under an industrial cement mixer, that's just asking for trouble. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Dave Kirpin. So much of what I have been able to write and put out into the world um, is super, super simple. Like, I'm the first to say that none of my books are rocket science. Um, in fact, I'll, I happen to have a copy of uh, Likeable Social Media, um, and I'll tell you that Seth Godin, one of my just mentors and and and, and just a terrific person that I look up to, um, he he wrote about Likeable Social Media. Dave, thanks for making time. Thanks for having me. So, chairman of Likeable Media, New York Times bestselling author, um, entrepreneur. Wh- why don't you give us the the thirty second elevator pitch on yourself? Sure, thirty seconds. Uh, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur and uh, an author and speaker. Um, I actually currently am responsible for three companies, which is pretty crazy, but fun. Likeable Media is our primary uh, firm, social media marketing for big brands. Likeable Local is a software company for small businesses. And Uma Health is uh, my newest venture. It's a mental health marketplace that connects clients with therapists. I've written four books, most recently Art of People, 11 Simple People Skills That Will Get You Everything You Want. And I guess my most important job of all is uh, father to three and husband to my brilliant business partner and wife, Carrie. That's awesome. So, uh, and you've got another book coming out this coming year, yes? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's the third edition to my first book and the best-selling book of, 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 of all of mine. It's called Likeable Social Media. Uh, how to amaze your customers, create an irresistible brand, and be generally amazing on all the social networks that matter. And um, that, you know, when you write a social media book, it has to be updated every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, uh, it becomes out of date pretty quickly. So this is the third edition that we're doing that will come out in February of 19. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. So, you know, you, you speak all over the place. You're advising all sorts of, of clients. Um, what's something that you feel like you've learned by doing all this that you wouldn't have learned any other way than, than by actually doing it yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been lots and lots of lessons because there have been lots and lots of mistakes along the way. And um, sometimes mistakes are the best teachers for us. Um, I would say the most important lessons I've learned are all about people um, and, and, uh, hiring slow and firing fast and, uh, you know, trying to trusting your gut when it comes to people. I've hired a lot of the wrong people along the way, and, um, I've had to make some, some major changes, um, and really thinking about the importance of culture and core values when it comes to people, especially leaders. Um, sometimes the smartest person is not the best person for the job. And sometimes the person who looks best on paper is not the best person for the job. And sometimes uh, the, the the person that has the, the most credentials is not the best person for the job. And I, I've made uh, made lots of mistakes along those lines. Uh, some of these mistakes that unfortunately I've made more than I'd like to admit. But I think uh, hopefully with each time you get a little bit better and uh, I learn a little bit more um, about how to better, you know, choose, choose the right people. And, and more important when, when, when I do choose the wrong people, which is bound to happen, um, and I'm making a change sooner rather than later. Yeah. So I'm terrible at that. I'm the guy that, that's like always trying to give them one more chance and I'm just frustrating the whole rest of our team or, you know, why is this person still with us? You know? 
any, yeah, and it, any it, advice for folks like me? It's probably the biggest mistake that I see in entrepreneurs and business leaders everywhere. It's like, and, and the major reason from a psychological perspective is cognitive dissonance. So what happens is we make a choice about somebody and then even if our gut is telling us that maybe we made the wrong cho choice, instead of admitting that we were wrong, we rationalize to ourselves and try to convince ourselves, no, we made the right choice. It's just this. They just need to be moved to this department. They just need this coaching. They just need th this, uh, you know, uh, uh, method. And so we try to convince ourselves. But in, in our in our deepest, you know, uh, in the you know in the corners of our mind, in our in our really deep gut, we kind of always know when we messed up, but we just don't necessarily act on that that as quickly as we should. Yeah. Um, any any uh, stories from your own life of when you learned that lesson, man, uh, I, I, um, the, the one, the story that that's the, um, the sharpest is the series of sales leaders that I went through at like the local, our, our software company I mentioned earlier. Um, the first, I see, I, I, am very good at sales myself. So it's an area that I, maybe I, I assume that I don't necessarily need the very best person. And so, um, I think I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Right. So the first, the first uh, sales leader I had uh, was a really good salesperson, um, but I talk about talk about core uh, values and, and and lack of culture fit. Uh, he was not only a, a, a drug addict uh, doing cocaine; he was actually doing uh, doing recruiting others to sell under him that were also using drugs. And so that was a pretty big problem. That was probably the worst, <laughs> uh, worst person I've ever hired. But then, I, then, then I kind of swung in, in the, in the wrong direction. And after, after him, I hired a super squeaky, clean, really, really smart Ivy league grad that didn't actually have sales floor chops. And so he was super smart, but again, didn't, couldn't necessarily do the real, you know, grunt work of a sales floor leader, you know, running a, running a phone operation. And then my third and, and, and I think final mistake, at least with this company in replacing him, I brought on a sales, uh, a sales whiz who was a really, really good seller herself. But just because somebody's a great salesperson doesn't mean they'll be a great sales manager. And I, and I kind of made that mistake. So, um, you know, in basically each of those three situations, I held on to the person too long. And, you know, in hindsight, of course, uh, 2020, but I would have, I would have let those people go or certainly let them go from their positions and move them, uh, sooner rather than later. And then eventually I hired a, a super, super competent sales manager, but it was kind of too late, um, to, 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 in, in given the stage of the business at the time. And so the important lesson learned is the sooner we know that that person isn't right, the better, because, and it's not just that person on the line, it's the whole company. It's all of your, all the rest of your employees. It's all your customers. It's all of your investors. So you really have to think holistically about these things because it's really not just that person's uh, livelihood at stake. It's, it's everyone else's. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, all the different ways to fall off the balance beam, huh? Yes, there are many ways to get it wrong and a couple of ways to get it right. So we keep, but we, we keep trying and hopefully uh, you get it right a little bit more often than you get it wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, going in a different direction here, I remember seeing a YouTube video of you, I think from a co-invent media summit or something. And you were talking about how to build, I think you were talking about how to build a media empire for free on you. Uh, and I'm just interested, you know, you, you've got this best-selling book in the social media space. You're obviously, you know, in the media world in general and doesn't hurt that you're right in New York. 
Um, tell us a little bit about some of your philosophies in, in that world of the opportunities where maybe people are uh, overdoing it or not realizing um, the, the, the optimal, you know, the best practices. Yeah, I think a lot of people uh, perceive building their own personal brand as something that is beyond their reach. And I have, uh, I guess, been lucky enough or fortunate enough to um, to meet the right people and have the right, create the right opportunities and get the right opportunities to be able to build a, a very big personal brand and a very large um, uh, set of followers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one, one aspects, one aspect is um, of, of this is that a lot of people think that writing for Inc or Forbes or entrepreneur magazine is like unattainable when in reality, um, all these magazines have flipped their business models in order to go on the web. So now to they, they, ha they have increasingly large numbers of digital contributors. And so if you can generate halfway decent content, you can you too can write for Inc or Entrepreneur or Forbes and, and, and build up a big part of your brand that way. So certainly um, writing for Inc has been a, a big part of building my brand. And then I was fortunate enough to be one of the early people in the LinkedIn influencer program. And, and, and that allowed me to, to build up quite a big following on LinkedIn. And fortunately for everyone listening, LinkedIn has opened their publishing platform to everyone. So you don't have to be uh, cho chosen to be a LinkedIn influencer. Now you can choose yourself and start writing content uh, and, and making videos and sharing content on a regular basis. And, and, and the thing is really everyone listening can become their own media uh, company if they just think about things a little differently and the value is tremendous, right? I don't have to pay social networks to share my content because I have enough followers organically that I can share it myself. And if you too are an entrepreneur or, or, or an executive that has something to sell and promote, um, there are massive benefits to, to building up your own, your own following in such a way. Yeah. Last time I checked, do you have like, 650,000 people in your community or, or how big is it now? Yeah, well, it's about, I think it's about 670 on LinkedIn and then across LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter, it's about 750,000. So it's a sizable, you know, number of people by, I would say just about anyone's standards and, um, and, and it's well targeted. I'd like to think, I mean, we spent, um, it's funny. I just, I just, uh, handed in my manuscript for likable social media, third edition. So I was writing about how, you know, with likable media, our first company, we, um, wanted to reach marketing decision makers. So we didn't spend a lot of money on Facebook advertising, but where we spent money on Facebook advertising to build our audience was in using job title search and marketing specifically to chief marketing officers and senior directors of marketing and vice presidents of marketing. And so it's the numbers are important. You know, qu quantity is important, frankly. And anyone that tells you quantity is important is is lying to you. But quality is also really important. And and so building a, a following of the right people, people that can actually buy your stuff or subscribe, you know, or, or, or interact with you in in an important way, that's that's also super important. And and we've been able to do that, I would say, uh, fairly well. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then I want to hear more about this. Great. Okay, so now that we're back here, Dave, um, I want to talk about this uh, idea. Um, you you have actually done what you wrote a book about, which is unlike a lot of other books, <laughs> right? Um, building this audience, 750,000 people. Um, in your mind, 
Um, what kind of advice do you have? Like you take someone like us, right? We've done, I don't know, this is probably episode, you know, 225 or episode 250. And it's easy to get into a routine. It's easy to maybe have the next interview sound like the last interview. What, what kind of advice do you have for somebody like us that wants to be um, continually growing the audience and, and knowing that we're adding the value to somebody's life that they want to come back? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I think it's really a two-part question. So the so the or two-part answer. The first part it has to, has to do with internal, and that's probably more important. And that's getting into the right mind frame yourself, such that you're always challenging yourself and um, and asking how can I do things better than I did the day before. One of my favorite authors and thought leaders, a guy by the name of James Altucher, and he has uh, what he calls the one percent rule. If you can improve 1% a day, it's really not much, um, but the, the value of compounding is such that at the end of a week, a month, a year, if you're improving 1% a day in your habits, in your writing output, in your methodology, in your innovation, you, you're going to improve a heck of a lot. So so to me, the most important thing there is is the, having the mindset of, you know, continuous Im improvement. And then the second part is more external. Like you asked me specifically, how can you deliver value for your audience? Um, I would say ask them. <laughs> it, it's, it sort of surprises me how, how few organizations use the tools available to them in social media um, to gather that sort of insight, right? If you think about it, it pe most people use social media as a, as a, a megaphone, a platform to talk when, when the even, there's even more value in using social media to listen as a 24-7, 365 focus group that it is, and, and, and going ahead and using your social platforms and email and really any way that you can reach your existing audience and say, hey, what do you like? What don't you like? What would you like to see more of? Who, in your case, who would you like to see on our show? Who would you like to see us, us interacting with? And, and getting that kind of feedback, because once people are, are bought in, um, not only is it really valuable feedback, it's it's they're, they're they're more empowered and they're more connected to you. For instance, we we um, we chose we crowdsourced the cover to Likeable Social Media Third Edition. We we had four covers that our designers uh, we actually we had three covers that our designers did and one cover that our uh, my publisher did. And we took the four covers and and put it out and to our various social media followings. And we got great feedback on all the social networks. And of course, we ended up going with the, the cover that that got the most votes. And so now, you know, all those people, thousands of people total that saw this, they'll they'll be first of all, obviously, they're a little, you know, they're a little bit more inclined to buy the book because they were already involved. But um, they're also just feeling empowered and like they had something to do with it, which which they really did. Yeah, I love it. Okay. I'm just sitting here smiling at like such a simple, but such a smart answer. So let's do that right now. Anybody listening, my email address is jess at mylandmedia.com. Please answer all the questions Dave just asked. I, I, we would like to know, you know, which episodes have you liked in the past, but who would you want to hear from in the future or what makes this podcast worth listening to? You know, please email me directly again, jess at mylandmedia.com. I feel like this is like the perfect setup, even though we didn't plan that. Well, they, thank you so much. And it's funny because so so much of what I have been able to write and, and put out into the world um, is super, super simple. Like I'm the first to say that none of my books are rocket science. Um, in fact, I, I happen to have a copy of uh, Likeable Social Media 
Um, and I'll tell you that Seth Godin, one of my just mentors and 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 just a terrific person that I look up to, um, he he wrote about likable social media. Um, Alas, common sense is not so common. Dave takes you on a sadly much needed guided tour of how to be human in a digital world. So, like my books, I'm not I'm not I'm not telling people rocket science. I'm telling people really basic stuff. But frankly, so often they're basic things that we we take for granted or or, or forget or 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 gloss over in an attempt to sort of get to the the the, the advanced stuff. But we, we we often lose sight of the basics. I love it. I'm I'm a huge Seth Godin fan. What did he mean by by the human aspect of that comment? What do, where do you think he was getting at? Well, you know, the thing with social media is it allows all of us to be human, no matter how big our organizations are. So even if you are a Fortune 50 company, right, if you use social media right, your brand takes on personality traits. Um, it could be fun. It could be playful. It could be kind. It could be helpful. It could be instructive. It could be funny. All these various personality traits. It, it's, social media is this amazing equalizer of, of, of helping small companies seem a lot bigger and helping big companies seem a lot smaller and more human and more, more personal. And, that, and that's, that's kind of what the magic of social media can be if, if applied right. I love it. Well, um, we've probably got time for another question here um, for this before this episode's over. Um, thinking about... All, all the subjects we've covered so far, you know, you're a guy who gets asked his advice a lot. What's the question that people don't ask that they should be asking? A good, of course, a great question. Um, what do people, uh, what don't people ask that they should be asking? Um, they don't ask about uh, life priorities. And, um, and I really meant what I said when I opened the show um, about, my most important job being that of as a father. I, I don't. That wasn't lip service. I think that that that, for obvious reasons, most people in a scenario like this end up in, you know, focused on how to make the most money and, you know, hire the, the right people and and um, you know build the com build companies that in the best way. And those are all super important. But you know, uh, I had a I had an amazing uh, meeting, a chance meeting on a plane, with. Uh, then, uh, 87-year-old man, uh, he was sitting next to me on a plane, and I looked to my right and saw that he was writing. Uh, he was reading a very big uh, font, um, and I and I and I saw it was a speech, and I and I saw the words, "My dear friend, the late Ted Kennedy." And then I kept reading, and I saw when I authored the GI Bill. So I realized it was a senator. I didn't realize who it was. I introduced myself. Turned out to be Senator Frank Lautenberg from New Jersey. He was a 25-year senator who did quite a bit in, 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 in government. Um, he, um, he, he wrote the no smoking on airlines bill. Uh, he had the GI bill, no, the age of, uh, of drinking nationally being 21. Um, but what I didn't know until that meeting was he also founded a little payroll company called ADP that he uh, <laughs> little, took public and, and, and 40,000 employees year uh, later, um, you know, he had this 25 year career in, 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 in business followed by this amazing 25 year career in government. And uh, as someone with, you know, so a lot of political thoughts and, and potentially ambitions myself, I, I chatted with him about business and about politics and government, the, the whole plane ride. And as we're touching down, he says to me, you know, I want to show you a picture of my, my greatest legacy. And I, and I wondered uh, to myself, is, is, is he going to show me a picture of him with one of the presidents or a bill that he signed into law or maybe a, um, him at the, the uh, New York Stock Exchange when he took the company public? Um, instead, he showed me a picture of his four children and seven grandchildren. And he said, you know, this is my most important legacy, Dave. 
he said, you know, none, none of my accomplishments in business or in government will be on my tombstone, but uh, all of their names will. And um, I, I found that to be deeply, deeply moving. I, I really, I've never forgotten it. I ended up having a, a third child, and 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 his his middle name uh, is uh, is Franklin, named after after Frank Lautenberg. And the sort of sad but very um, uh, authentic um, part of the story is that he he did pass away. Uh, a couple years later, and I was uh, uh, able to be at his funeral, and um, uh, Hillary Clinton spoke, and Joe Biden spoke, and it was really like a who's who of people in, in government um, that that spoke. But um, more important, all four of those children and all seven of those grandchildren spoke, and and were just amazing. And so uh, I, I I I continue to look up to him, and and to know that. Basically, every single day, I have to remind myself of what my true priorities are and what my true legacy is. And I think that that's that's just something that we, so many of us in in business and in life, can can take for granted if we don't remind ourselves. That's great advice. Well, uh, thanks for making time, everybody. Please please listen into uh, part two of our interview with Dave on the next episode. Thanks. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about. If you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York, and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now, but I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.